Hey everyone, I'm Megan Coleman. And I'm Meg Rivas, and we're the Megs. We have a lot of fun laughing and learning how to squeeze the good out of today. So you have actually a cold. We just swapped (laughs) places. I know. (laughs) So I'm like the stuffy one now that, you know, like when you talk, you can't really hear well out of your ears when you say things, it sounds all muffly. That's how I am right now. Um, How do you like my new background? I love it. I know that people that are listening can't see it, but if you go to our Instagram page and watch some of our video clips, that's right. (laughs) You'll see it. You'll see I'm in a different spot in my house. Actually, I just switched the ends of the table. And my background here has my diffuser and my eucalyptus oil so I can try and get better (laughs) for your cold, for my breathing. I know you haven't felt like super good, but anything good this week? I mean, there's always good I can find, but you're going to laugh at this one. I was thinking about this. Of All right. I haven't felt awesome. So what's been the best part? something good from this week. And I'd have to say that it's probably the medicine that I've been on. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been taking a decongestant because the pollen is insane here. I mean, just like yellow everywhere. And, um, I think that that's, what's bugging me and not the COVID it's not the Rona. I already got tested because I was super nervous and it was actually my first test I've ever taken. What? I've had like five. I know. And the the lady at the uh, place where I went, the clinic, she was like, this is your first test. And I was like, I know. I was kind of hoping to escape it all together. But I wanted to play it safe with the kids in school. Did oh, they yeah, do they... the nose swab or the oh, throat? Yeah. Oh, no, the nose. They went all up in there. And she's like, it's going to be five seconds, you know, and then she counted it but I still feel it. <laughs> well, the pollen is yucky because I'm still kind. I feel fine. I'm yeah. over my cold, but I still have that little congestion and all that fun stuff. I've been taking like a decongestant to kind of help. And uh, my mistake, number one, was taking it at night. Oh, oh. my word. I was awake, like awake, awake for like six hours of the night. It was terrible. So I didn't do that. I, uh, after that first day, I started taking it during the day. Meg, this stuff is like, uh, I don't even know. I should never say that medicine is like a mom's best friend, but it's helped me get (laughs) so much done this week because it's whatever is in it. It's like, I did seven loads of laundry on Saturday and I folded all of them right when they came out of the dryer, which never happens. It usually sits on my couch and the kids every morning get up for school and they're like, mom, where's my uniform? And I'm like, I don't know. Go look at the couch, (laughs) you know, go dig for it. I'm going to send you a decongestant for your birthday. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Just package it up. Here's some productivity. Here's your decongestant so you can get seven loads of laundry. That's a lot. I know. I mean, I was even, I didn't even have to set a timer because sometimes if I have a lot of laundry, I need to get done. I set a timer so I don't forget to go change it out um, and put it from the washer to the dryer and all that. Otherwise, it'll just sit there, you know, and then my hopes and dreams of doing a lot of laundry quickly fade by nine o'clock at night. I'm like, oh, crap, that load is still in the washing machine. <laughs> I have to rewash so much laundry. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not a good 
I'm just not a very good housekeeper. I, I don't know. I have other talents, but keeping up with laundry is not, not, one, not of one of them. <laughs> so my good is I have gotten a lot done. Taking a decongestant. Yeah. Taking a decongestant, man. It's like up to my home. Like game. it perked, it perked you right up. Huh? That's right. I know. Well, what's your good? Uh, we had, my parents were in town visiting us here in Florida. And so we decided to do some touristy stuff and we drove up to Jupiter and they have the cutest lighthouse. And before going, I would have been like, oh, it's the cutest little lighthouse. And it does look little from far away. And then you climb it and it's a beast So my good was that I survived the climb of the Jupiter Lighthouse and they give you a certificate at the end of it. Like it's a deal. Seriously? Yep. Now, I was like toast the next two days. Like my legs felt like jello. In fact, I was in Target and I needed to squat down to reach something on the bottom shelf. And then I was going to read something. So I was squatting. This is embarrassing. Did you not get up? Oh, no, it gets worse than that. (laughs) I was squatting and I was trying to read this like tag low down on the shelf. And my thighs like started like shaking. This is how out of shape I am. So we had climbed the lighthouse. I was toast the next day. I'm in Target. My legs are like jello, like shaking because I'm propped up on my tiptoes squatting and I rolled backwards. No, you did not. I did. (laughs) It happened. In Target? Oh, yeah. On my bottom, on my back, like legs Were any of your kids with you? No, they would have run. That would have been the best. So anyways, you know, I just like was like, oh, my gosh. And whatever, grabbed whatever, threw it in my cart and then ran away. (laughs) (laughs) But you had a fun time climbing. Yes, that was the good part was we had the best time just kind of checking out things in Jupiter and doing the lighthouse. And we like kind of museum-y historical stuff touristy stuff. When yeah. you li- you lived in Florida, did you what it was your favorite we thing that did you did none of that. Oh, I boo. Know, so lame, right? But that was before we had kids. I don't know. Although I have kids and live in Houston and we have yet to do any of like the NASA or any of that stuff. You got to put that on your to-do list. I know, it needs to go on my like summer bucket list. Yep. So on today's episode, we're excited because we got a lot of feedback from you guys that y'all enjoyed when we did the little rundown of Daniel chapter one and two. Yeah, your crazy dreams and (laughs) then we rolled it into Daniel. So a little bit back by popular demand, we're going to run through uh, Daniel chapter three. Um, And we knew that we were doing this episode and... um, actually something really cool dawned on us. Do you want to kind of jump in and tell them what yeah, we discovered? Yeah, so a couple of days ago when I was like, all right, if we're going to jump into Daniel 3, let me open it up and see and just refresh my memory of what that chapter is about. And Meg, I was totally blown away because this is a chapter that when our son Bennett was at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital for cancer, this was like the chapter that I prayed and the story I prayed over him like no other for four months. 
And so when I opened it up and I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what we're going to be talking about because this month, April is actually his heaven birthday month. He passed away April 28th. So I just kind of, I got a little excited to be able to talk about this in relation to, you know, Bennett and what we went through. And for those of you that haven't heard our original um, episode on Bennett, it was back in December. You can go scroll down and find that. Um, and that gives you really the huge background of walking through cancer with him and all that. We're not going to go into any of that in this episode, really, but just kind of how this particular chapter really made such a huge impact for me personally um, when we were walking through cancer. I'm excited. I know I probably will get choked up a little bit here and there. You always hope- do. That's but normal. hopefully, yeah, <laughs> I don't think we can ever talk about him and me not like be a crying little. I don't know. A crying whatever. So this is Daniel chapter three. It says King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high, nine feet wide, and it's set up on this plane. Okay. This is important. I wanted to read that very first verse because. Don't worry. We're not going to like read verse by verse by verse here. We're just setting it all up right now. Yep. I just wanted to read that first verse. So what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, I want to set up this gold statue out in this kind of open field area. And I really, I think it was kind of his way. It was kind of like a power move. Sure. Okay. He wanted to show everybody, look look at my wealth, look at what I can do. I don't know. There's probably theological scholars out there that are cringing at our interpretation of half of this stuff. They're not listening to this. It's all good. (laughs) But it says that he then summoned all these different kinds of people. And I have to ask you, Megan. So it says he summoned um, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, judges, magistrates. But then there's another word on here. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't even know what it is. I'm hoping you might know what is a satrap? Is that how you say it? Or well, satrap? Mine, mine says uh, and all the provincial officials. And so it's just other ofi- officials. Officials. Yeah. Okay. So that was the first thing that I wrote down is what the heck is a satrap? I don't know what that is. Some some type of government official, I'm assuming. Yeah. But he gathered all of these really important people. He summoned them and basically wanted them to kind of stand before this huge golden statue and tell them, this is my new decree, my new command. I want you guys to worship this golden statue. In addition to that, anytime you hear the music and it lists off all these different instruments, right? Yeah. Another one that I wrote down is what is a zither? That's one of the musical instruments that was written. Yeah, I don't know what that is. What the heck? What's a zither? And can we bring that back? Is it in my hip hop music? (laughs) I don't, I don't know. But no, I feel like you'd be disappointed maybe if you heard one. (laughs) Like maybe it's a type of harp. I don't know. But it, it lists off all these different musical instruments and it says if you hear, the sound of these instruments, you're supposed to basically, and tell me if you, if this is what you took away, Megan, you kind of drop what you're doing and you've got to go worship this huge golden 
statue. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. I mean, think about that, Meg. If you hear any of those instruments, I mean, if I'm, we hear instruments all the time or music all the time, even when we go to a store. And I know that obviously they didn't have like stores like we have now, but I'm sure that there were different people out markets. I'm sure. Yeah. And markets and different people playing. So I don't know if it was like the government officials that were playing or not the officials, but people within, you know, the, the King's court, you know, court. Is that what it is? His his groupies. I don't know. Like his his crew, his His crew, crew. you know, if they were the ones that, you know, decided, oh, now's the time to start using these instruments. If it was like a specific thing, or if it was, if you just heard anytime, anywhere, but it is, you drop to the ground and, and you worship that statue. Right. So you basically bowed down and worship this gold. It said, um, in my translation, it says you're to stop and worship the image of gold. So I stopped right there because I was really thinking about that. That issue hasn't gone away today. Don't we still, the love of money, like gold, oh, wealth, yeah. isn't that still a thing today? Yeah. I mean, how impactful is that, that that's something that was seeded in generations so long ago from people that did worship this gold. And now it's still a thing today. Oh, it's still an issue today. And that's probably the biggest thing that I teach my kids. Cause Davis, our older one, he's like you, where he really likes the gifts and mm-hmm. he's constantly thinking of what he wants. Uh-huh. And we call it his wonder. <laughs> like when he gets on Amazon, he kind of has, he has days where he just we're like, dude, your wonder is really, really high right now. So let's just step away from the Amazon, step away from, you know, looking at things that you want because it, that desire of having money to spend takes, you know, it, it takes charge of his contentment really. Yeah. That's yeah. still an issue we deal with today, but we hey. try and teach them that money's not bad. You know, the gold isn't bad. It's the love of it. The love of the, the way worshiping that it, it. Yeah, it's the I worshiping. have to have this. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. So anyways, that kind of caught my eye um, that that's still something that's relevant today that was going on back then. What makes me upset is it was introduced probably to some innocent people that innocently started worshiping it. Yeah. You know, like they maybe didn't even know. That was the kind of sad part to me is like, gosh, what if they were just trying to be a rule follower? Oh, this is what the king said to do. And so I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's totally me. I'm the rule follower. So then it says um, that if somebody did not worship the gold statue, you know, upon hearing the music. So the music was kind of like a cue to everybody mm-hmm. like, hey, Bow down. we're bowing down and we're going to worship this golden statue because the king said to do it. So anybody that didn't do that, they're going to be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Which Ouch. took me back to King Nebuchadnezzar being kind of a jerk. Like, mm-hmm. because in the other chapters, his immediate go-to was, oh, if you don't do this, I'm going to cut you into pieces. Now it's like immediately you're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. Like everything just escalates like super quick. You didn't have like, you get pulled over by, you know. You get a warning. <laughs> right. You get a warning ticket 
or if you're a kiddo and you mess up, you get a timeout or no. I mean, these guys go straight for the jugular. Like it escalates super fast. Like if you don't do this, you're dying. And it says immediately. Immediately. There's no, no grace. No, not I can't. Okay. So the other thing that I wrote down in relation to that, when I was writing my notes was I can't imagine living back then. Like that's a lot of pressure. You probably would have done really well because you're a rule follower. (laughs) Thanks. You saying I would have like bow down to that golden statue? (laughs) No, not that way. I just mean like I and I'm a I'm a rule follower in the fact that I don't like to get into trouble. But sometimes I just don't understand really what's going on, and that gets me into trouble like unknowingly. Like, what about if I heard the music and I was like, oh, it's it's a dance party. (laughs) Like, that's what I'm saying. And you're in the middle of the market, like dancing all around while everybody else is. Thrower in the furnace. Hey friends, we've got a juicy deal for you today with Gab Wireless. They have smartphones that are safe for your kids. It's amazing. My son has had this phone for over a year now and we absolutely love it. He gets to call and text his friends. There's a camera, Bluetooth, GPS, and more features. But I know that he's protected on this phone. So go to gabwireless.com today, that's G-A-B-B, and use the promo code THEMEGS for 30 dollars off your purchase. Seriously, your kids will love you for getting them a phone, but you'll know that they're staying safe. Everybody else is like, hit the ground, bow down, and then send her to the furnace. Right. So anyways, it just got me to thinking like, that was a hard time to live back then. Yeah. Way, way, way back in the day. Okay. But then do you guys remember Back in chapter one and two, Daniel's crew, so not King Nebuchadnezzar's crew, but Daniel's crew was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm -hmm. See, I got it right. His buddies. His buddies, his crew. So uh, Daniel was in a different part of the kingdom, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were back with the king, serving him there. So uh, what happens is like the astrologers, um, like the government officials, I really think that these government officials in these, uh, it specifically says the astrologers twice. I think they manipulated this whole situation beforehand because they went to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, um, you have these Jewish men that are serving you and they don't worship the same God that you do. And they're probably not going to bow down to this new golden statue. So they put that little seed in King Nebuchadnezzar's ear. Am I getting that right, Megan? Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. They wanted them gone. They were holding a pretty high position. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were serving the king in a in a a pretty high position. And these guys didn't like it, the astrologers and some government officials. Yeah. I mean, they even planted the seed of, they refused to serve 
your gods. You know, they pay no attention to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. So it was all these like underlying manipulative statements that they were saying about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to kind of stir the pot, you know? Right. So I think that this is a power move now that they're trying to make just with the positions that these three men hold. They didn't like it. So they planted this in King Nebuchadnezzar's ear, mind. Yeah. So, you know, they planted those seeds in Nebuchadnezzar. And then in verse 13, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. This is where I think the king might need some anger management class. (laughs) It ticked him off so much. But I want you to talk about this because I know this part is probably means a whole lot to you. Yeah. I mean, so Nebuchadnezzar, once Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before him, you know, he... um, he said to them, you know, you refuse to serve my gods and to worship that gold statue I've set up. You know, I have set up, you know, it's all about him. Right. right. Um, and he says, but I'm going to give you one more chance. So they actually did get a little bit more grace than probably the common Joe, you know, of the situation, because the decree was really immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. But here it says that Nebuchadnezzar says, but I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship this statue I've made when you hear the music. But if you refuse, then you're going to be thrown immediately into that blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Because, you know, again, it's all about him and who he is and his power. And then this is probably my absolute favorite, favorite part of this verse. And it says, or this uh, chapter, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Like, can you imagine? Like, oh, oh. fool. <laughs> like, that's the attitude I feel like he's having there. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you, because if we're thrown into that blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, the king, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Like, I love that part because it's just this man, you think you hold all the power? Like you don't hold a candle to what God can do. Like if you throw us in this fire, he can pull us out. But here, here's the thing. Even if he doesn't, he's still good. Like I still trust him and I still trust his plan. And what this did is it further pissed off <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. Then he says he oh, ordered he the- furious. Yeah. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than the usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers to basically bound, like tied them up, bound them up and to take them up and throw them in the furnace. Yeah. It says also that it was so, he got it so scorching hot that some of the soldiers that took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego also, well, not also, they died. Yeah. Right. Right. 
just by <clears> taking <throat> them to throw them into the furnace, it was so hot. The heat that was coming off of it, they died right then yep. and there. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. Did not. And they're thrown in. So they're yeah. in the fire. Like, we're not just like standing around it. It's not a little campfire fire. Like, this is a legit thing. They're thrown into it. And they're bound up and tied. Okay? No way out. They're in it. They're in the thick of it. What happens, Megan? Well, okay. So this is a, the part that it kind of confuses me a little bit because in verse 24, it says, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. So, uh, this is probably like that mind blowing moment, you know, for Nebuchadnezzar. I, I think the part that I wonder is, okay, if he, is he still really ticked off at this point, you know, or has that rage kind of died down because the unbelievable moment and amazement of hold up, like we just put three in there tied up, bound up. And now I see four people and they're not bound. They're like, hanging out and walking around. Walking ar- I can see him walking around. I can see him walking I did around. have a question on this too, is because it had said that the soldiers had gotten so close to it and it was so hot just by getting that close that they had died. But then it says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar sees this and he walks up and tells oh, them. But he so I'm did. like, well, how did he go up to it and not? Who knows? I'm sure it's all part of the plan. But so it says Nebuchadnezzar walks up and says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So he sees them walking around and orders them to come out. I know you love this next part too. Yes, so go ahead. My favorite. So um, it says that the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advisors, they all crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at all. Like hasn't, didn't even touch them. And it said not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. So they're not tied up. They're able to walk out. They are not burned in the slightest and they don't even smell a fire. Yeah. So this is the part that I prayed for our son Bennett. So when we were at St. Jude and we were fighting cancer, he was 17 months old when we got there. So, and we were there four months before he passed away. But our, our like biggest prayer was that God would heal him, obviously, but that it wouldn't just be remission, that it would be, um, this verse of that they didn't even smell like smoke, that you couldn't even smell cancer on him. The whole idea of um, that there would just be no evidence. Because a lot of times when you have cancer and you go through all those harsh treatments, it affects other parts, you know, of your health and your body. Even once you maybe beat the cancer, you can still have some issues because of the chemo it's just harsh treatments. And so that was our biggest prayers that God would heal him, but in his healing that he wouldn't even smell of cancer, that there would be no evidence 
on his body of cancer. And so this is kind of the hard part because, um, we know that he answered that God answered it. He didn't answer it in the way that we were hoping, but he actually got the greatest healing in the greatest way of not smelling like smoke. And that's eternal life, you know, and that's him, even though we don't have him here, we believe that God still answered that. And we trust that he, and we know that he is, he doesn't smell of cancer anymore, you know, in the greatest most amazing way. And yeah. I mean, even when we were driving to St. Jude, um, like two days before he passed away, we were having to admit him because he uh, was just having so much pain that we could not manage anymore from our apartment. And as we were driving to the hospital, Davis, who was five at the time, he said, you know, mom, it's okay. Like God's either going to heal him here or he's going to heal him in heaven, but either way he gets healed. Because that's what we spoke over them for four months was we're just praying for this crazy amounts of healing that he won't even smell of smoke. So that was like our huge prayer um, in this. And then the part that I feel like now post Bennett passing away that speaks the most to my heart is that is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they're talking to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, listen, you can throw us in that furnace. And I trust that my God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. He's still good. And that's what I have to keep coming back to because it's hard. Like I don't, I didn't want my son to die and we didn't want our family to have to walk through this, but I do believe that God is still good in the midst of that pain and in that heartache. And that when we go through those trials, you know, cause we're going to, right? Like we're mm-hmm. not going to live this perfect harm-free, tear-free life. Like we live in a broken world. And so for me, I just have to remind myself of even if not, like he is still good. I think we want to be sensitive to the fact that we know that people are in the thick of it. They're in the fire in this moment. We know it's a nightmare. Like I, I can only imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were literally preparing for death, like in a matter of minutes. And, um, so we know that what some of you might be going through right now is and Megan can, you know, sympathize with you. She has gone through that. So she knows the pain, the suffering. So I don't think any of us are wanting to say what you're going through is good that's not what we're saying. No, because what we went through walking through cancer, not good. Walking through losing a son, still not good. But I think the good that has come out of it is what I choose to see. It's the good that I choose to embrace and the good that I choose to focus on. Otherwise I feel like my grief overtakes me. Um, And it, it is harder in December around Christmas time because that's when he was diagnosed and it's just a high family, you know, season of the holidays and buying gifts for the kids. And I don't have any to buy for him. So that's hard. And then April is another hard one. And here we are smack dab in April, you know, kind of coming up in a few weeks on his heaven birthday and that it's hard. It's a little bit more tender, but I choose to see the good in it. And some of the good, honestly, that's come as a result of what we've walked through with our son, um, because him dying is not good, but what we've got, the conversations that we've had to have with our children, our other three kids is amazing 
And I love, love, love that we've gotten the opportunity to have those conversations that most families do not have when your kids are, you know, young in an elementary school. Um, but I do, we do. And that's something that I'm grateful for. Would I'd rather Bennett be here? Absolutely. But I will see that good in it. And um, I will just embrace it, you know, yeah. and just be thankful for it. And I actually had a pretty candid conversation with um, one of my neighbors back in December. They had listened to the Bennett episode and we were chatting about this idea that God is still good. So I think I just want to make sure, and I come from it a little bit different than Megan too, is that I believe with my whole heart, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that even if, right, Mm -hmm. the even if situations, even if this and this happens still, still, I believe God is good. And I do believe that with my whole heart. Doesn't mean our situations are good. Right. I can't look at Bennett passing away and go, yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. No, 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 I would it never sucked. wish that on. <laughs> worst, worst and, thing to ever walk through, honestly. Right. But I can separate it and go, but my God that I believe in and serve and love, he is still good. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, you know, it's not like. I don't think that was part of God's plan, right? No. Oh my gosh. No. He, it's not like God said one day, hmm, I'm going to give Bennett cancer and then he's going to die. And, you know, mm-mm. like as part of the brokenness, cancer is not something that God designed. So that is kind of our family's belief and kind of our faith background too, especially me and Logan. You know, anybody that asks us, you know, we'll, we hear a lot of, Christian people talk about, um, oh, well, that bad thing that happened, that was actually good because God does da 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 da. I don't, we don't, we need that. to be okay with um, sitting in our heartache sometimes. You know, just because we went through this and now all these years later, I can say that God is good. And I could say it the day he died, honestly. But it doesn't mean that um, I didn't admit that the situation itself was terrible. Like you can, you can have both. You can have the pain and the joy coexisting together. It does not mean that you have to have only joy in a day, and then oop, I'm going to switch that joy off, and I'm going to start feeling pain. They can coexist. It's just leaning into one or the other. And in the moment, there are moments where I lean in more to my grief and my pain. That's what I was going to speak to. Just validating what people yeah. are going through. I mean, because there was months on end, years on end, where you know, it's sadness just overtakes you sometimes, and and grief and um, missing them. And, and I, I just, I think those are okay to feel those things. You have to, you have to go through that grieving process and you have to go through that hurt and those pain. You have to sort through those emotions. And for everybody that takes a different amount of time. Yeah. And this was a big part of why I was super adamant about not going on any kind of antidepressant because I, I wanted to feel it. 
for me personally, I didn't want to numb anything. And I know that it is necessary for some people. And I was borderline, like I went to counseling and, um, you know, was checked up to make sure that I was okay. And I was really borderline on needing it. And so I chose not to only because I, I personally wanted to have all those feels, you know, and lean into that grief because I wanted to be able to figure out how to heal from it. And the funny thing is, is you never really heal from deep loss like that. It just changes over time. It's, you know, the days of sadness lessen, um, you know, you can find more joy within the moments. Um, but it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that that hardness, it just disappears overnight. But um, I do, I choose to focus on the good that comes out of it. That's what my next question to you was going to be is, um, at what point did you go, okay, this is a choice that I'm going to have to make. I need to choose to move forward and choose to see that there's still good in this life. Hmm. Um, I would say every single day since the day he died. <laughs> It is a choice. choice. Yeah. I mean, I remember he passed away early, early in the morning, like one or two in the morning. Um, And we left the hospital pushing out an empty stroller, which was probably the worst part and something I wish that I would have thought through of not having his stroller there to just push out empty. Um, And then we got outside and it was just pouring down rain and we went back to our apartment on Mud Island and the other kids were there sleeping. And I mean, we maybe got a couple hours of sleep and then we had to wake up and we had to tell our kids, you know, our other kids that Bennett had passed away, that they lost their brother to cancer. And um, we got up and I remember making a cup of coffee and the sun was just like shining through the window. And I remember just going, I have a choice today. I can't even, (laughs) Megan, I can't even speak. She's looking at me. I'm sobbing on the other end. But I I know I woke up that morning and I, I mean, I grabbed my cup of coffee and I looked out the window and the sun was shining and I just said, God, you are good. Like this day sucks. Like I'm about to have to go tell my kids that their brother died. You know, we're going to get through it. And here we are, you know, seven years later, we're about to celebrate. And I say celebrate because we do, we celebrate his life. You know, on the day that he passed away, we still celebrate his life. Okay, that's good. Tell me, we need something. We need some good (laughs) now. Yeah. Let's talk about how we, as a you guys as a family, how we as a family, what we do to just remember and honor and celebrate Bennett. Yeah. So, you know, when he passed away, I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old still. And so I wanted to do something tangible for them that, um, that, that they understood. And, and we had him cremated. We were living in Louisiana. So, you know, even when we moved here to Houston, like I, I, we don't have a grave site to go to. I know that some people do that, but we don't have any of that. And so from the very beginning, what we started doing is, um, blue is kind of our color that we associate with him and we get blue balloons. We each get one and we get a permanent marker and we sit down and we've got the helium in them and we write him a note on the balloon. And I mean, Ben does it, I do it, you know, when 
the kids were super young. They kind of drew pictures. Landry last year, just, I think she could write his name and drew a picture, you know, and that was it. But the older that they've gotten, they do, they sit down and I've taken pictures every year of all the notes that they've wrote, written him. And they're, um, they're at the same time sweet and really sad, you know, because Davis will write, you know, I miss having a brother because that's what he lost. You know, the girls still have Davis. They still have a brother, but he lost a brother. And I so <laughs> I can't even talk. And, and so we write him these notes on there and then we just go outside and we release them. And then we just stay there watching the sky until we just can't see them anymore. And we tell the kids, we're like, you know what? We believe that God will give him those messages, you know? And I, I don't think that, you know, Bennett's like looking down on us, watching us all the time. Like I kind of, that kind of weirds me out. I think that's weird. But, um, I do believe that, that there are probably moments that he knows about, you know, and, in ways that we love him. And so, I think that our balloons is one of those. And my kids look forward to it every single April when we get those balloons and do that. And it's funny, I've had, that's probably the question that I get asked more often than anything is um, for that anniversary. Like, how do you honor him and what do you do? And um, and then we usually go eat at Chick-fil-A because that was, you know, he was only a baby. He was only a couple years, not even two. And so what, what's his favorite restaurant? Well, we're just claiming it as Chick-fil-A because it's just another excuse for us to go, you know, and we do, we go and have a Chick-fil-A meal on his heaven birthday. And then we, um, we do our balloons. So I love it. In our, the big extended family, we've all done the balloon tradition a couple of times if we're with you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, we've done that and I, my girl's remember it and, and love writing those messages and notes and stuff on the balloons too. So that's just really special. And I love that you came up with a tangible way, you know, for the kids to participate in that is the day, April 28th, is that specifically a hard day or is it kind of like after it comes and goes, like, do you have a relief or, Mm. or is it really hard? hard or is it kind of like, okay, it's okay. Like, that's a really good question. And this is something Meg that I tell people, or, you know, if they come and ask questions that I will tell them my experience, everybody's different. Cause you know, grief is a fingerprint where it is different for everybody. Yes, there are grief stages, but man, you sure bounce around them like crazy and there's no rhyme or reason to it. it just kind of depends, you know, on your season and situation. But I, the thing that is always the hardest for me is the day before. It's almost like the anticipation Mm -hmm. of the day coming. And so I, I get out all of that sadness and that anxiety and just heartbreak. I honestly get it out the day before. It's kind of the anticipation of it coming. And that's been the same for me for seven years. I mean, since year one. And then when the day actually comes of his heaven birthday, I can find the good in it because it's almost like my body has grieved 
the day before. Mm -hmm. So the day Mm -hmm. of, I just get to now, I mean, it's easier now because I'm so many years down the road. It definitely wasn't like this the first few years, but now I can, I can enjoy that day and I can be reminded, you know, of the good and the, the, we get to write in these notes and that he is like escaping all the heartbreak of this world that we still have to walk through. Like I can focus on that kind of stuff to make that day a good day. Yeah. And I like, I I appreciate that you mentioned grief being a fingerprint and kind of different because I think everybody in our family has grieved, uh, even the extended family, like me and Logan being aunts and uncles to him have grieved differently and that looks differently. And going back a little bit to the chapter that we just did in Daniel and read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can remember being up at Memphis you know, visiting and helping take care of Bennett. And on an airplane ride back, a gentleman on the plane, um, I was, t- you know, me, I'm a talker. I'm going right. to tell everybody like the story, <laughs> like, hey, here's what's going on. And Bennett hadn't passed away. Um, but it oh, wasn't is that when you came to visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it wasn't looking good. Yeah. And I was telling this gentleman on the plane and he looked over to me and I can still see his face. Like it, like it's just one of those snapshots in your life where you won't ever forget. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you have to testify. These were his words. You have to testify about how Bennett was healed Mm. and how God is good. Yeah, That is what he said. I won't ever forget that. And that summarizes Daniel three for me. I want to wrap this up, Meg, because there's just another little section of Daniel chapter three that I think is one of the most important parts of this chapter. And, you know, here they come out of the furnace and they don't smell like smoke. And then, so before, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was all huffy and puffy and angry, you know, and outraged that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't worship him and his power. And now it's totally changed. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. And it goes on and he says, you know, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against their God, um, then they will be, this is the bad part. Then they'll be torn limb from limb. You know, it's like, he, it's like, he just wants he's to still, rip people apart. <laughs> right. He still is a rage case. He but, really is. This is where he needs some counseling for his anger. <laughs> but we, we love that he sees, you know, God for who he is now that Shaq and Abednego showed yeah, him. And it ends and it says, there is no other God who can rescue like this. And I would say that that is what God has done for me in my grief is he's just rescued me, you know, like in my grief, he has rescued me. He rescued Bennett. Like he, Bennett had a cancer that, um, it was so rare. It was so rare. So there weren't a lot of, uh, a lot of study cases for it, but the ones that we did have were not good. It's like a hundred percent death rate. I mean, like we knew it would be a miracle if he survived it. But, um, you know, if somebody actually did go into remission with his type of cancer, it came back even worse. 
and more aggressive. And so that's a big part of why we were praying that he, if God healed him here, that he wouldn't even smell like smoke, that we wouldn't go through that remission. We wouldn't have to walk through an even, even harder, you know, season of that. And so we pray, we really just feel like God rescued him from having to go through all of that. And that is so good. And I'm so glad we're ending it on that. But the reason I'm crying is because I looked up and right behind your shoulder, the handprints, it's his handprint. Oh, it is. So there's his handprint in the middle right there in Davis and Reed. And then this is his picture that St. Jude sent me. In her office, she's got um, cute little handprints of the kids in Bennett's hand and then a sweet picture, like she said, of St. Jude. Yeah, St. Jude actually made that for us uh, when we were in the hospital, and then they sent me the picture of him after he passed away. And they are loving on, I know we didn't really go into it very much here, um, but they are loving on families that are walking through this nightmare in such a profound way. Um, and they don't, uh, send a bill for treatment, not for travel, not for housing or food. So if you, after hearing this, um, episode, or if you go back and listen to really where Megan dives in a whole lot more to Bennett's story and journey in that episode that we did in Gen- in December, uh, we mentioned St. Jude too. So if you feel led to, uh, give, um, they're a great organization, and there's lots of hospitals too around the world that are doing uh, great things too. So I think that's me and Megan's heart is just um, that you also maybe find a way to uh, give to others that are facing a tragedy. You know, yeah. and listen, if anybody here is listening and you are just really going through a crappy season of life, I just want you to know you're not alone, you know, and, um, we love you email us or message us. If you just need a little encouragement, like just know that, um, you're not alone. Um, we all have really, really hard and terrible seasons and we have really hard and terrible days. You know, um, I think just being reminded that you're not alone is always something that's encouraging. It's encouraging to see you smiling Mm -hmm. through the majority of this episode, like that does my heart so good just to see that smile on your face. Yeah. He's my baby. I love him. I love talking about him. And, um, who would have thought we, uh, and, and this is the God's honest truth. We knew we were going to do Daniel chapter three. Mm-hmm. It literally did. And we knew we were going to do it in April. It did not dawn on us that that it all coined like this was the chapter. I know. <clears throat> so I love that because really it's a good cool. reminder for my heart as I come upon his heaven birthday and we get ready to um, celebrate him in a couple weeks. So, well, thank you guys for listening. We just love, love, love y'all so much. And we will see you next week for another new episode. And don't forget to squeeze the good today, even if it's a hard one. We're doing it right there with you. Thank you so much for listening to the Meg's podcast today. We have the best time talking about (laughs) all the things. All the things. We love it, don't we, Meg? Yes. Well, y'all be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes that we have. And then also come find us on social media. We want to connect with you at the Meg's podcast.